just about but, the crowd got pulled right back. But then Megan <laughs> Kelly reached out to us just after we got fired, and, and, and she said, I want you guys on my show. So we jumped on her show. It was on Wednesday. But before we got on, she had a panel with some folks talking about the Benham brothers and their views. And should HGTV have fired the Benham brothers? And this one lady that was speaking against us, I didn't know who she was, she said this. She goes, these brothers have extreme views, very dangerous views in this country. Now, after I heard that, I knew, okay, we're going to be on Megyn Kelly's show in a couple of days. I don't care what she asks me. I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to let people know what our extreme views are. So we get on the show. It's a Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, boom. First question comes up. I have no idea what Megyn Kelly asked me. All I remember is saying, I remember last week when someone was on your show, and they said these Bennett brothers are extremists, and they have extreme views. Let me list for you a couple of my extreme views. I believe that an unborn child is a human being in a mother's womb. And I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, we'll just stop there for a second. Today, Jason and I are either heroes or haters. We're heroes because you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Wow, that's really heroic. You imagine that back in the 50s, back in the 60s? But then we're also haters because we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. So we have to understand the context in which we live. And now is the time for men and women of God, for young people, to return to our roots. To remember who we are and whose we are. It's time for us to continue shining the light of Jesus. The, the problem today is not the presence of darkness. I just said that. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. The problem today is the absence of light. Did he say that already? Yes, you were totally not. You know what? There was one time I spoke in, was it Fargo, North Dakota? And I stood up there and said, it's directly in Fargo, South Dakota. <laughs> and everybody's like, uh, no, that's North Dakota. But now, going back to light, it is true. The problem today is not the presence of darkness. This will be the third time we've said it. The problem is the absence of light. Now, how many of you remember, especially parents, growing up in Sunday school singing the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. You guys, and a lot of you kids maybe have grown up singing that song. And then what's the part of the verse that says, Don't let Satan blow it out? Or if you have a really crazy Baptist Sunday school teacher, she might go, You know? <laughs> right? Well, the image that we have of light is what? What is, what is our light? It's like a candle. What happens when the wind comes along and blows on a candle? What happens to the light? It goes out, right? We need to replace the image of a candle with the image of a coal. Like the burning ember inside of a fire pit. And since I'm from North Carolina, I can say fire pit. Like the burning ember you guys know if there are charcoals inside of a, of a fire pit with like burning embers inside of a fire pit. What happens when the wind comes along and blows on that? You see? The same wind that extinguishes the candle's light ignites the coal's light. So what's the difference? A candle is lit from without, a coal burns from within. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah, in this book, now I want every young kid in here that's below the age of 20 to look at this. If you are not in this every single day, you are going to fail. 
God Almighty wants you in this book every single day. Jeremiah, who was a great prophet in this, that wrote the book of Jeremiah, said this. He said, your word, he was talking to God, and he said, your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary of holding it in. Do you know why he was weary of holding it in? Because Satan was trying to extinguish his life. Go back to the image of the coal. You know how God gets the light that's inside of you out into the culture? Do you know how he does it? He puts you in situations where Satan tries to extinguish your life. And then if you have been digging into God's word, if you have been alone with the Lord on your knees, spending time in prayer and growing deep in your relationship with him, I can guarantee you that the light that's inside you, although you may have never opened your mouth in a public way ever before, the light that's inside you will come out. It will come out and it will be natural and you don't have to try to shine. And it's actually a really fun thing to watch. This is the thing that Jason and I have been traveling and speaking across the country and we were asked by Glenn Beck to be on this show and so we, we, we packed up, we headed out, we were walking through the Dallas-Fort Worth airport and we had just been on the news and so people recognized us and this one guy's looking at us really kind of weird. And he's got his arms crossed, he's just kind of staring at us and, and uh, finally no one was around us and he looks over both shoulders and he walks over to us and he leans in and he whispers, are you guys the benefactors? And we said, yeah. And he looks over his left shoulder, back to his right and whispers, and then took off. I mean, he was terrified of being around these radicals that actually believe that God's boundaries lead to God's blessings. And when you remove the boundaries, the blessings are replaced with burdens. There are boundaries in this life, moral boundaries. For those of you not from this country, you understand it just like we understand it. There are moral boundaries that that transcend national boundaries. The moral boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. The moral boundaries that sex is meant to be within the context of marriage. It's like a fire in a fireplace. Inside the fireplace, it's warm and it heats your food, it heats your home, it's great. But outside the fireplace, once it gets on the carpet and hits the furniture, it'll burn the whole house down. So keep it in its proper context. Keep it in the boundary. And so when we speak like this, now all of a sudden there's an agenda in this country that wants to terrify you from actually speaking like that. And so Jason and I wrote a second book, Living Among the Line. Our first book was Whatever the Cost, and we talk about our story. We're going to tell you some of that story tonight. But then our second book, Living Among the Lions, How to Thrive Like Daniel in Today's Babylon. And as we were studying, we stumbled upon a prophetic word from a chaplain from Harvard and Stanford Universities by the name of Dr. Elton Trueblood. Now, he was back in the early 1900s, and later on in his career, he was asked by a journalist, what do you think it's going to look like for Christians in America in the later part of the 20th century? Listen to what he said. He said, by the year 2000, Christians in America will be a conscious minority surrounded by an arrogant, militant paganism. Now that is spot on. Because if you want to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be called a hater. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called all these foes and all of these names. But we have to understand what Jesus in his word says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. 
He's talking to his disciples, and he's talking to you and to me. And he said, blessed are you when men insult you and persecute you and falsely accuse you for my name's sake. How many of you are watched false accusations against Christians in today's America? I mean, we see it all the time now. Nothing can be further from the truth that you hate somebody when you simply say that God loves you and God has boundaries for you to live within. And that if you live within those boundaries, you'll experience God's blessings. That is actually the most loving thing that we can say. But God is calling out the warrior. This is a culture now where if you are trained for battle, if you step out onto the battlefield and you take off at the first sound of a bullet whizzing past your head, then you have proven that you're not a soldier. And so God is looking for soldiers for that. And now here's the beauty. The army may be looking for a few good men. But God's looking for the weak and wormy types. And most of you fit that bill. <laughs> because he can live inside of you and turn you into something that you never were before. It's a change of identity. But you know how many times people come up to David and I say, oh man, thank you guys for standing strongly for your faith. You never compromise on your principles and we're going to tell you more tonight and we're going to let you peek under the hood about that. But they often say, I don't know that I would have stood like you did. And my response is always this. I'm kidding you, you listen to this. My response is always this. Do you know how you know that you'll stand publicly if you're put in a situation like that? If you've taken that stand privately. If you've been faithful in little things when nobody's watching. If you've been faithful to do your best on that test. If you've been faithful to not cut corners at your job. If you've been faithful to not look at that thing you're tempted to look at, if you've been faithful there, you can rest assured that when you are in that public place, God will come through and give you the grace that you need to handle and the strength that you need to handle that, that public stand. All you have to do is continue to be faithful right where God has placed you. And if you've fallen, as we all have, be faithful to simply repent. Be faithful to simply say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And, and, and open up to other brothers or open up to other ladies and get your, get, let's get this. we're the body of Christ, we're the family of God, we're also the army of God but we're the family of God what does family do when you're in trouble? man, go to family let them help you through whatever it is that Satan's trying to distract you deceive you and defy you and that's one of the biggest issues we fight with our own kids, this the distraction of this. Well, Dad, I'm not doing anything wrong. I said, I know. But it's distracting you from really focusing when you should be focused. So, listen, if you've fallen privately, you can get right. You can repent and you can turn to God. And David has had to repent a lot more than I have. Although I have And now you have to repent for that. <laughs> but it would have been safe for that brief moment. By God's grace, we had a faithful mom and a faithful dad who showed us what faithfulness looked like when nobody else was watching. See, when we grew up, our dad was a pastor at a church. And when we were little, little, little types, like one, our dad actually owned a bar, a saloon. And he was working in the bar one day, and a guy came through selling coffee makers, witnessed to my dad. My dad got radically saved. And for about a six-month period, he felt God calling him to become a pastor, but yet he still owned this bar, and he's singing Amazing Grace and Kumbaya, selling alcohol to people stocking the beer coolers 
That must have been an odd time in his life. He decided he was going to go to seminary, went to seminary for three years, and then our family moved to Dallas, Texas, a little town just north of Dallas called Garland when we were four. And our very first church service was in our home, and six people came. Five were in our own family. <laughs> David and I were the door greeters. We were terrible preachers, kids. Let me just tell you. You know, the husband and wife were sitting on our couch listening, and David and I were crawling over there trying to tie the husband's shoes to the wife's shoes. We, it was awful. But you know, we got saved when we were 12. And Dad challenged us. He said, guys, now that you have become a brand new person, you know, you have a brand new identity, your brain has to catch up with your new identity. But and the only way that that's going to happen is for you to get into God's Word. So we started reading through the New Testament every year at the age of 12. And from 12 to 18, we read through the New Testament. And uh, we weren't homeschoolers, so that was like six or seven times. And so we, we went through the New Testament. By the time we were 18, we decided that we were going to read through the whole Bible, cover to cover. And so from 18 until now, we've read through the Bible every year, cover to cover. I don't know how many times that is. Like I said, we were not homeschoolers, so my, my numbers are not that great. We didn't go to the last Christian. And I was really pleased to hear that the N on the hat stands for knowledge. <laughs> But, you know, growing up in, in, in our dad's home, he was a pastor, stood out on stage. But, you know, every single morning that we woke up, we caught our dad doing one of two things. He was either reading his Bible, or he was on his knees in front of our couch praying. And, and this is for you parents in here, as I'm a parent too, and it's always convicting when I tell this story. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child the way he should go, and in the end, he won't depart from it. So there's nothing about it in the process, which is great. It's an encouragement to me, 1580. But in the end, he won't depart from it. And you know what that verse means. Solomon wrote it. He's the wisest man who ever lived. The Hebrew word for train up means to touch the palate of. And what the Hebrew moms used to do is take food, and they would take like carrots or celery or whatever, and they would chew it up real fine. They'd take a piece of it out of their mouth. Sounds gross, but it works. They took a piece of it out of their mouth, they put it on the tip of their finger, they open up the mouth of their infant baby and touch the palate of their baby with that food. And that would ignite the salivary glands, and that baby would begin to get an appetite for the particular food that the mom placed in the mouth. So when Solomon is saying, train up, what he's saying is cultivate an appetite in those that you lead. And we've discovered that leadership is the ability to create an appetite in those who follow you. So the question is, what type of appetites am I creating in those who follow me? We, our dad's actually here, Dad Wade. Dad's going to come up here at the end. But
stuff that we've experienced in our life, we actually got to witness it first. And one of the ways he showed us that is he put his office next to the busiest abortion clinic in Dallas, Texas, and happened to have an employee by the name of Norma McCorvey, who was the Jane Roe of the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision. Two years later, she prayed to receive the Lord Jesus as her personal Savior. Dad baptized her. And what the, the national media caught on to that, but what the national media didn't cover was her lesbian partner, Miss Connie, getting radically saved as well. Dad sent me and Jason to Walmart by a blow-up swimming pool. Said, we're going to baptize Miss Connie right here. So there we were, blowing up, getting on hyperball, hyperventilating. And, and But we watched that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what transforms lives. See, we aren't just issues fighters. I'm going to stand on the issue of the unborn. I'm going to stand on the issue of marriage. No. We're going to stand on the fact that sin has infected the human race and that Jesus Christ has come to set us free from our sins. All sins. And your private sin and my private sin is no different than their public sin. But the difference is is that I don't have my private sins now writing curriculum and being promoted in the public school system and then waving, you know, I mean, heck, you see thieves waving thief white flags through our streets and demanding rights? There's a difference. So we're taking sin now in this country and institutionalizing it and celebrating it. And it's gone from acceptance of sin to appreciation to celebration and now a forced participation. So that's the context in which we live. So Jason and I, we graduated 94 from Garland Christian Academy. Nothing compared to Nebraska Christian Academy, of course. But we signed baseball scholarships to go to Liberty University. And uh, we went there and we tell people we're very dangerous guys because we eat Chick-fil-A, we shop at Hobby Lobby, we watch Buck Dynasty, and we graduate from Liberty University. It's <laughs> awful. Just terrible. Guys like us, bad. And I've heard a few people tell me that they went to, is it University of Nebraska or Nebraska University? University of Nebraska. All I know is Fortnite. When people tell us that they went to the University of Nebraska, what I'm really hearing is I couldn't get accepted to Liberty University. More offense. Where? More offense. So sorry. We we uh, graduated from Liberty in '98. We got drafted. I was drafted by the Red Sox. She was drafted by the Orioles. Minor league baseball. In our book, it says dying to your face is dying to your dreams and living power. We never made it to the big leagues. And we knew God was going to make us, we were going to go all the way to the big leagues. Then Jason and I, one of the two of us, probably me, would hit the game winning home run in the World Series. And we were going to give God all the glory. Well, we never accomplished that. And we have to learn what it means to die in your dreams, which means you pursue your dreams with your feet, but you stay dead to them in your heart. You let God put the platforms in your hand. You let God put whatever that provision or promise, whatever that thing is in your hand, and then he can take it or put it back, whatever. You don't have to hold it there with white eye with tenacity. Because if he wants to remove it, guess what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to pry your knuckles open. Most of us parents, we know what that feels like. So we never made it to the big leagues. But that then was we, actually a very spiritual way of saying that David couldn't get water to fill out the boat. <laughs> so he didn't make it. He just didn't make it. For the sake of time, I won't go into some of the things I'd like to say right now. But when we got out of baseball, we had no idea where we were going to go or what we were going to do. I was married and had two 
two kids at the time. He had just gotten married. We decided to go to Charlotte, North Carolina. We had played in the Carolina League, the South Atlantic League. We fell in love with the area, so we said, let's go there. When we got there, we um, decided to get our real estate licenses, and we had no training in business. We studied American history at Liberty, and we loved history. Thank God for our history. Uh, but Jason and I had no business training. All we had was we were armed with the principles of God's Word. So kids, if you want to run a strong business, if you want to have a strong marriage, if you want to be the leader God wants you to be, do it this way. This is the only way that you can truly do it. And at the end of our days, God looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. So here we were. We jumped into real estate, armed with this, the principles of this work, and by 2012, we had 100 offices across 35 states. We had one of the top fastest growing private franchises in the country, and all this stuff happening, the, the, the stuff that we never set out to accomplish, but that the Lord accomplished through us. And then a production company comes around and says, hey, do you guys want to be on a reality television show? And at first we said, no, well, we're not going to do that. You know, we have, I'm not going to put on golden handcuffs. But they said, we want to put on just, we, we just want to do an interview with you and your brother and actually develop a sizzle clip. So they put together a sizzle clip, took it to Los Angeles. Now in 2013, five networks won us. A and E, one Spike, and MTV. And it was interesting because Spike reached out to our producers and said, hey, ask those brothers what's off limits. We're like, you're off limits. We'll never go with you. Well, TLC makes us our first offer. And at that point, it started getting real. We said, okay. We better, our production company said, you need to hire an agency. We called this agency out of Beverly Hills. We had no idea. They were referred to us. They were the Kardashians agents. We did not know that. <laughs> we fired them. But it was interesting. Before we fired them, we were in Beverly Hills negotiating with TLC. And these guys go, hey, you guys, let's go get some drinks at this little hot spot where Leonardo DiCaprio and all these other stars go. And Jason and I looked at him and said, we don't drink. And they looked at us, and I'll never forget, he goes, what do you do? <laughs> and we just kind of looked at each other, and Jason goes, we eat frozen yogurt. <laughs> so they found us a little frozen yogurt shop on Rodeo Drive, man. I mean, you just drop that yogurt, and you got to drop the cup so that you get all the yogurt packed down in there. Well, what I really meant to say was we don't drink because we were raised Baptist and drinking could lead to dancing. That's right. Don't shake that. Don't shake that. That's right. So here we were. Now we're negotiating with GLC, and out of the blue, HGTV calls, bypasses the agents, calls me on my cell phone, and said, "Listen, this is the general manager of the network. I'm on vacation. I heard you and your brother about to sign with TLC." Will you please wait and see an offer from us? So HG comes in with a straight-to-series, no-pilot, bypass all that stuff to air in the fall of 2014. And at that same time, they were already piloting the Fixer Up episode, which was pretty awesome. Got to know Chip uh, through all of this. And uh, anyway, so as we're negotiating with HGTV, they sent us the long form. They sent us the short form. We sign off on it. And just before the long form, yeah, well, HGTV is not up. They're not a dumb company. They're not going to hire a couple guys like us without doing their background checks first. And so the attorneys actually started checking the background on us. And, and at this point, David and I had some videos and some blogs out that basically brought the gospel. We had held an event in 2012, and we had told people, hey, even though we're business guys, we wanted to 
hold an event where we invited all the churches to Charlotte. We had 150 churches show up. Different churches showed up. 9,000 Christians, it was a solemn assembly where we actually humbled ourselves and prayed before the Lord and repented of sin. The night before the Democratic National Convention in 2012, well, that got David and I put on the radar for some, some activist groups funded by George Soros who hate us now. And, uh, and two things specifically that we had some videos out there on. One was we were in front of an abortion clinic talking about the atrocities of abortion. And number two, we had uh, vocally been very vocal about, uh, in North Carolina, supporting an amendment, it's called Amendment 1, that basically said this, marriage is between a man and a woman. So when the attorneys at HG were doing their background check, they came upon these, these videos and blogs that we had written. And I remember getting a phone call from the production company one of the ladies in the production company called and she said, hey, HG is really excited about signing you guys, but they have a quick question. The attorneys want to ask you a question for the record um, before they officially sign you with the law. Are you guys anti-gay? That was the question. Now, isn't it interesting that just because we believe marriage is between a man and a woman, now all of a sudden we have to be anti-something. Now, the issue, though, was that when she asked that question, I experienced something that I hadn't really experienced before. I mean, not to this level. Because when she asked that question, I experienced fear in a way that I hadn't experienced fear before. And what it was was a man-pleasing spirit, because when that question was asked, the thought passed through my mind, uh-oh, you better be careful how you answer this. Because if you don't answer this right, you're going to lose this new platform. You know, at HGTV, it said we're going to be in millions of homes and literally put David and I in all these homes and make us marquee players and all these things they were promising us. And now I got scared about losing But by God's grace, I said just a quick little snap prayer and God gave me something. I said, no, we're not anti-anything. We're pro-Jesus, which means we're pro-Bible. And then I talked to her for about three or four minutes basically about that we believe that God's blessings are found within God's boundaries. Like what David said earlier, if you remove those blessings, the boundaries, excuse me, if you remove those boundaries, then God's blessings are replaced with burdens. And because we care about people, we're willing to talk about the boundaries. And as I know that the attorneys discovered that two of those boundaries they don't like us talking about was that marriage between man and woman and life begins at conception. But David and I are going to talk about that. And you know what her response was? It was so cool. She said, oh, okay, good. Because you want to know the truth? That most of us in the production company, even your agent's firm, and, excuse me, and HGTV, we, most of us believe like you guys do. We just don't really talk about it. Well, I remember hanging up the phone call, wiping my forehead, being like, whoo, God, you gave me something good. I saved the show, and I represented you very well. But you know, two weeks went by, and we didn't get a phone call, a text, or, a, or a, an email from HG, from our production company, or our agents. And up until that point, they had been communicating with us almost every single day. And I thought we were getting dumped. And I had never, ever been dumped before a day in my life. <laughs> I had to like go to him for advice. I'm like, hey man, Show. And we, we were praying. And we, and you know what our prayer was? God, please save our show. 
Lord, save our show. Don't let us lose the show. We're going to use this to bring you glory. We got up from that prayer, and I said to David, I said, let's crack an email and send it to HGTV to try to save our show. He said, okay, let's do it. So he wrote an email, sent it to me. I thought it was the greatest email I ever read. You want to know basically what it said? HGTV, these are our beliefs, and we're not going to change these. However, when we represent your network, we'll be quiet about it. He wrote it. <laughs> now, now listen, he wrote it. I approved it. And we were doing it all with a peace from God. That was a false peace. Do you want to know why? Because in that moment, we were operating out of the fear of man and not the fear of God. In that moment, we had put our focus on the platform that we wanted to keep. And we took our focus off of the person who put the platform there in the first place. And guess what happens when you do that? When you take your focus off of the person of God and put it onto whatever it is that he put into your hand. For us, it was this platform, this promise of a platform. One, that thing is the very thing that enslaves you. You are now in bondage to that thing that you won't let go of. You are a slave. Okay? But number two, you begin to operate strategically in the mind and no longer spiritually in the heart. Strategy jumps out of the passenger seat into the driver's seat, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, I don't do the passenger seat. I'm out of this car. You're on your own. And you know the worst thing that God can ever do is to let you have what you want. David and I wanted the platform. Now, we were doing it for the Lord, and we had the peace of God, but that was a false peace. That was the peace just like Balaam had whenever he asked God a second time if he should go. To curse God's people. And what did God tell him? Yeah, go ahead. You can go now. And God sent an angel to kill him. Right? And that was a false peace. So David and I were operating this false peace. But you know what we did? We had a little bit of spirituality left in us that we said, let's send it to a spiritual mentor of ours before we send it to HGTV. And um, we knew not to send it to our dad. So we decided to send it to a pastor friend of ours. And you know, within three minutes, he sent an email back that rebuked us and straight up slapped us in the face. He said, how dare you boys crack an email like this? How do you know that God did not put you in this situation to tear down the stronghold that's ransacking this nation? You boys ought not send this email because that's not who you are. You forgot who you are. You know, in that moment, we were cut to the heart. We got down on our knees and repented. And we felt the exact way that Peter did when he promised his best friend in the world that he would never deny him and yet that very night, what did he do? So David and I, we did not realize three months later, six, six months later, we would get fired in front, of, in front of a watching world. We didn't know that. And where God would require us to stand boldly for the Lord. But what he had to do first was break us. To show us that boldness, apart from brokenness, makes a bully. God had to get us on our knees before he could stand us up on our feet. And we discovered that the secret to courage is first recognizing your inner power. But not stopping there. But then allowing the Holy Spirit to unleash your inner life. So, f fast forward now two weeks. You look back two weeks, HG had never even called us nothing. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, HG shoots me a email and says, hey, are you and your brother going to sign with us or what? So we were like, absolutely. 
we're going to sign with you. So we signed with HG. We go through all the pre-production. They named the show Flip It Forward. They had six families coming in. We were flipping houses. I mean, all this money's flowing. We had cranes pulling roofs off and stuff. And here's what's really interesting is HGTV, to negotiate with us, they gave Jason and I the creative license of the subplot. So we had the plot of flipping the house, but they were going to allow us to put our Christian principles into the show. So here we are four weeks in now in 2014, heading into the summer. We're four weeks into a 10-week film shoot. And commercials are running and all that. I mean, it was crazy. We couldn't believe, like, Lord, this is actually really going to happen. We didn't make it to the big league, but now we're in the big, big league. And so then we get a phone call from our executive producer who says, hey, guys, uh, just wanted you to know we announced your show at the upfronts in New York City. These are the advertising slots where they have all these the 1,500, 2,000 advertisers come and watch all their newest shows and then try to secure advertising dollars. He said, I got good news. <clears throat> Disney World wants you and your brother. Automotive manufacturers want your show. I mean, this is going to be huge. But there is a group named GLAD that called us and said, hey, don't you know who these brothers are? And here's what I love about HGTV. HG goes, yeah, you know what? We see the narrative that's out there circulating about these guys, but that's not them. That's just the narrative that's been written about them. So we told HG, hey, listen, uh, you know, just, you tell them, you, you stand strong. And they said, no, don't worry about it. We're standing strong with these guys. Well, they didn't realize what they were getting into with GLAD because GLAD is part of an interconnected web that's very heavily funded. And uh, this particular web has all kinds of media arms. And GLAD, after bullying HG for a full week, we finally get a phone call from HG at night from the general manager of the network. It's 9 o'clock at night, and the GM says, listen, we've been back and forth with GLAD for a week, but we're sticking with you and your brother. So we're actually going to get off the phone with you. We're going to call them. We're not putting anything in writing. So we hung the phone up. The next morning, all I remember, 6 o'clock in the morning, our phones are vibrating off the hook with texts from friends across the country that said, what's going on with HGTV? Did you see their Facebook page? Now, at this point, our show was just about to air. We've got commercials running. We were on their Facebook page, their, their, their banner, their Facebook page, all of this stuff. And, and I look at the Facebook page, and it says we were reviewing the Better Brothers show. And underneath it, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of comments just filthy, disgusting comments. We're like, what on earth happened? Well, what had happened was Glad didn't like what HG said the day before. So they tapped right when we watch on the shoulder to write a brand new story on the Venom Brothers. And they wrote this awful story, taking things we had said out of context and building an entire false narrative. I mean, they made us look horrible. It's easy to make him look bad. They made me look pretty bad. And so HG, by 11 o'clock that day, felt like the sky was falling. I mean, everybody, this whole activist network is mobilizing, just pounding HG. So we get a text at 11 o'clock. We were actually, we reported for a 9 o'clock call time to film. And it was, uh, hey, we were going to a quick conference call. So Jason and I stepped out. We found a private location. And we said, we got on our knees. We said, Lord Jesus, when we surrender to you, we said, Lord, who calls? So give us the strength, whatever they're going to say. So we get on the call, right out of the gate, the top executive said, boys, we're canceling the show. And after I got Jason up out of the field position, pulled his thumb out of his mouth, the first thing that I said was, thank you, thanks for believing in us. And then the, the scripture came to mind, Romans 8, 28. And we know that 
all things work together for good to those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. And then the next thing out of my mouth was, there is an agenda that is bullying Christians. The reason why, and I didn't say this to them, but I'm going to pause for a second. The reason why there's a bullying agenda is because it is the truth that sets people free. This isn't a, a debate between Democrats and Republicans or conservatives and liberals. Though there's plenty of context to debate there. But this is ultimately about between truth and lies. Light and darkness, good and evil. That's why the Christian faith is being targeted. That's why Christian principles are being targeted. Because the devil knows if you can shut the truth up, then people don't get set free. And so then, let me pause get back into the conversation. I said, this agenda is bullying you, HGTV, and we have absolutely no intentions of backing down to this line. Well, the only person that Satan cannot defeat is the person who's willing to live for Jesus whatever the cost. If you're holding anything back, you are a defeated foe, my friend. Dad, come up here as he's closing. Now, when David and I went through that, the minute we hung up the phone with HGTV from that day for the next two months, we went on about 200 one-on-one interviews from O'Reilly and Megyn Kelly and all of the best. I did, we were on all of them. And I'm telling you, we felt like the story of David and Goliath had come to life for us. And you think about that story just for one second. You think about David. Here he was, a, a young teenage boy. He probably wasn't much older than many of you dudes in here right now. 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. And his job was to tend the sheep for his dad, Jesse. And one day, the most popular man in Israel comes who was the priest. His name was Samuel. And he shows up with a jar of oil and says, God wants me to anoint one of your sons to be king. And so one by one, his sons go through. But little David's out tending the sheep. And finally, Samuel says, go get your other son. And David is anointed king. And you know where David goes right after he's anointed king? Where do you think he goes? You think he runs off to the kingdom and tells Saul, Saul, uh, Saul to get off the throne? He goes right back to tend the sheep. He goes right back to being faithful. And here he is all by himself out tending sheep, knowing that he's the anointed king. And yet when a lion shows up and wants to take one of the sheep, what's he do? He kills the sheep. I mean, it says he kills the lion. It's good. Yes. That's good. Israel was doing anything about it. 
Not even the king, Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody else, the Bible says, not even he was willing to go out and fight Goliath. But you know what David would have said if he were operating like he and I were that day when we sent that, when we just about sent that email? You know what David would have said? He would have said something like this. Hey, guys, hold up. Hey, uh, little prayer circle. Guess what? Samuel anointed me king. And one day when I'm king, I'm going to do something about that giant. One day when I'm king, I'm going to lead this army against that army, and we are going to kick their butt. Right? But right now, I can't get involved in this fight because if I get out there, then I, I might not become king. And God's promised me this platform. You see, that's where many pastors are today. Is they are enslaved to their own congregation because they don't want to let it go. And therefore they won't speak about certain things that are ransacking our nation and are run, ruining culture and are robbing people of their identity. They won't talk about those things because they won't forsake the platform. They won't lose the congregation. And we get it. The reason why I know that is because I went through it. But listen, David shows us that first he was willing to let go of that thing. He was willing to die to his dream. And secondly, he was willing to step onto the battlefield and face his fear. And you know what you discover when you face your fear? God takes over the fight. And your greatest blessing is only found on the other side of your greatest fear. And the greatest thing is that David shows us that boldness precedes the miraculous. There are some of you who need a miracle in your life today. And God is saying, be faithful with the lion's bear stories. You be bold there. Your private boldness will precede your public boldness. You don't go out looking for a fight, but you, when God puts you in one, don't back down from it. But first, win these battles privately. And that boldness there will provide a miracle for you. Just as the giant fell, it will fall for you. It is no coincidence that each and every one of you are alive in this country for such a time as this. It's not an accident. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see the great cloud of witnesses that have run their way in the race. They've been faithful, and now they're waiting for us to run ours. And the context in which we live today is unique to us. This is our moment. And the same rising tide of evil that makes cowards run makes champions rise. Listen to how the early fathers, Peter and John, prayed whenever they were surrounded by an arrogant, militant paganism. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, they said, And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your servants may speak your word with great boldness. Now is the time for Christians to be bold. Now is the time, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, take the boldest step you can take and surrender your life to Him now. If you're paying attention to what's happening around the world, Christians being targeted, the reason why is because we have the truth. It's not that we're any better than anybody else. By God's amazing grace, we are sinners saved by grace. So we want to ask our dad, dad, come on up here. We want to have him close this out. Because I know that we've got moms and dads in here. Give that to dad. No, you're too good. Oh, come on. You're my sister. They're dead. They're dead. Okay, so I know we've got moms and dads here. We've got young kids. We've got teenage kids. We've got single adults. Wherever you are in your life, now is a chance to respond. I can remember there's various times in my life when I was six, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior. When I was 12, I got really serious about 
about and started getting committed. When I was 17, uh, there were areas of my life that I needed to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. When I was 22, I had another moment where I said, Lord, I'm going to start taking ground in the culture. When I was 28, I mean, you know, these are moments. And so right now, we want to just enter into a moment as Dad opens this up and gives us a chance to respond. Well, thank you, boys. We've been praying for you. I've got friends that are praying in the church that's praying for you for this night. It's a very special night. Today's the only day that you and I have, really. It's the only day that's given to us. We can't get back into our yesterdays. I mean, I can't change the things I did yesterday today. I cannot. It doesn't belong to me. Yesterday belongs to God. And I can't let tomorrow, all the fears that I have in tomorrow, keep me from doing and enjoying the Lord's presence today. Today. What is the date today? 24th of April in the year 2017. And today is the one day that we have. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad. And today you've heard a message. You've heard a message right from the Bible, Old Testament and New. And you've heard about a Savior. And you've heard about some boys who really failed and were really tempted to go down the chute, would have gone down the chute if it were not for God's grace making them strong. And then through their weakness, you are seeing God's strength perfected. You're seeing it. And now God wants you to have the same experience. Because he has made each and every one of us here for a very specific purpose. For the kids that we have here, you are called and referred to in the Bible as arrows in Psalm 127. Arrows placed in the hands of a warrior. Arrows are made for something. Arrows are designed with a specific purpose. They have a point. They should be sharpened so that they can read with comprehension and write with articulation and compute with accuracy. You sharpen the point. It's going somewhere. And then the stem and then on the back are arrows, are, are feathers, feathers that will keep it flying straight and true as it's launched from the bow of family and church. Our kids are arrows. They were created for something very special, to do damage to the enemy's kingdom. And if the enemy can't kill them, and the easiest way to kill them is by abortion, you get them right in the womb. One third of the generation 44 years old and younger is not with us today. They have already been killed by the devil and his minions, by moms and dads looking for a way out of a difficult situation and desperate people do desperate things. And murder is one of them. And certainly we've murdered more children than Adolf Hitler ever did in this nation that was birthed by Almighty God. God is the one who made this nation great, who made us a city set on a hill that all the world might know that there is another king and that his name is Jesus. Not the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of the United States of America is not supreme. One day, every knee will bow of every judge that ever sat on that court, 
and their tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Supreme Court. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the one that is calling you today to represent him because an enemy is attempting today to redefine the truth of Almighty God, the truth that is found in this book. The truth that has been deposited in your hearts. A truth that we just take for granted. But it is yet so precious because the world desperately needs to know the truth that will set people free from their sins. To set people free from their yesterdays. There's not enough hours on a psychiatrist's couch that can fi fix most of us. There just isn't. There's a guilt of sin in us. Sin is separating us from God. And no psychotropic or psychotherapeutic drug can answer that. They can't fix us. They can help us to cope so we won't just blow our brains up. But nevertheless, there is no answer. Not enough education. Not enough money. Not enough margaritas you can drink to silence the voices in your head. Those voices that cry out of what an awful person you are that remind you day after day of the failures that you had the day before in yesterday's and some of the yesterday's of your past. Then God has one answer for that. And his name is Jesus. And he is all that you need. He is our only hope. The only way I know I'm going to heaven is because Jesus paid the price for a wretch like me. And the only way that I can know that salvation is true for me is to realize what a wretch I am and how desperately I need someone to save me. I don't need someone trying to give me directions and pointing the wrong crooked finger at me saying you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. I can't do half the things I know I ought to already. And this is the God I want to share with you today. And so I'm going to give you, and we would be wrong and desperately remiss if we didn't give you an invitation. So if you would stand with me, please. You've got some yesterdays and things that you need to, you just wish you could get over, you can't get back. There are so many moms that are taking the lives of their babies and they just can't get it. They're lost and they're sick. And they... That there's just not enough things to fix them. And Jesus simply says this, please, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy. You've got a lot of yesterdays. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. In Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Some of you might feel, well, if you knew how deep the pit was and how messed up I am. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Believe me, brothers and sisters, he knows how deep the pit is. And he wants you to know today, there is no pit so deep that Jesus is in deeper still. There is no sin that you have committed that will not be forgiven. If you will come and ask him, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. The kingdom of heaven advances violently, and violent men apprehend it. God wants to do violence in your soul 
He wants his Holy Spirit to just be able to wash over you right now and expose some of the things that are inside of you. And all God wants from you is to open that door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. That's his promise, and he's never failed to keep his promise. And that promise is for you today. So for, with all of the Christians here, those of you that know that you're saved, I want you to pray with me. And for all of you that don't know, Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you for the boys and for sharing the weaknesses, the times that they wanted to, to give in and to save that platform and their eyes got off of you, the person, and got onto a promise or the purpose. And, and, and Lord, you, you pried their hands because they wanted to hold on to it. But then there was a faithful counselor who sent back an email to them saying, how dare you deny me like this? How could you deny the Lord that saved you? Thank you for that email. It was all they needed. And it was instant repentance. And they brought their, brought their brokenness to you. And Father, you set them on a platform that they couldn't even imagine that they would be on. And there are some of us, Lord, here in this building. We haven't even begun the race of faith. Father, because we aren't even sure if we're saved, if we're a child of yours, you're not. And so, my friends, today, if I were to ask you the question, if you were to die 10 seconds from now, where would you go? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, or are you not sure? Or do you feel like you're just so worthless and messed up that there's nothing that can save you? God is telling you today, on this 24th day of April, in the year of our Lord, 2017, that today is your day. So for any of you that aren't sure, if you were to die 10 seconds from now, if you go to heaven or hell, if that's you, with all the Christians praying, I want you to look up at me and let me see your eyes. Just look up at me. As a matter of fact, put up your hand because I can't see you. If, if that's you, yes, young man, well, you just keep your hand right up there. That, not, no Christians looking around. Is there someone else? You're not sure. You haven't said it. Yes, sir. Keep your hand right up there. Is there are there others? Please don't let, don't miss this day. If that's you and you want to make sure that your name is entered into the Lamb's Book of Life, if you'd like to have every sin that you've ever committed be forgiven in one divine moment. If that's you, lift up your hand. All right. Young man, I want you to come out, sir. I want you to come right up here. We're going to pray for you right now. Brothers and sisters, young man, come on. Come on. Come on, brother. Are there others? We have one. All right, brother. I'm going to pray. Can I have a couple of the men that know Jesus? You come right up here and lay your hand on this brother. I want you to come on up. Come on, fellas. Just get up here. Father, we thank you for this brother. We thank you that this is his day. For one that repents of his sin, there's rejoicing in heaven when that one lamb is found. 
And Father, here is one who's lost. He knows he's lost. Would you like to have Jesus save you today, brother? Right today. Do you believe? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this brother. We thank you that he has come, that he is asking you into his heart. Father, we thank you that you died on the cross for us and that you paid the price that no one else could pay. You did it because you lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Gautama Buddha can't save, Krishna can't save, Mohammed can't save, Allah can't save. There is one name under heaven by which men must be saved, and that is the name Jesus. And Father, we claim today the forgiveness of every single sin that this man has created, that he is a new creation, that he is born again, that his sins will be restored, are now white as snow, cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought before him. And Father, we proclaim liberty to this captive, and that he will be set free. And Lord, we give you all the praise and all of the glory, and all of the church said, Amen. Amen. Now, brother, don't you move. I want you to take a look at the church. You heard these boys talking about something. They've been talking about this book. This book. How many of you Christians are in this book? Well, wait a minute. Let me say it this way. How many of you Christians know you should be in this book, and yet you're not in this book every day? Lift up your hands high. High so that everybody can see you publicly. What? How? Give us this day our daily bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Brother, do you see the problem in the church right today? We don't even know the word of God. We can't even work or negotiate our way through it. And that's why darkness is overcoming, because we don't have enough light in us to shine. And God is saying, today is your day. Now, how many of you who raised your hands know that you're gonna, you don't want to make one more commitment because you know you're going to fail? You know, you tried it. All right, you tried it before and you failed. Get your hands up there so I can see it. All right. Gentlemen, brother, praise the Lord. And some of you Christians have got to get around here. But God's not done with you today. God's not done with you today. And I'm looking at men. Men that should be fighting this battle and you're not. And we're losing our families, we're losing our wives, we're losing our children, and we're just out there following trivial pursuits. We know that we're just become a quivered piece of flesh. We know that we're better than this. We just don't know that we can do anything about it. And every time we try harder, we end up doing worse. And we just want to give up. I want you to know that if you do not, Get into God's Word today and let Him do something in you so very special. That is to pour His grace into you. That is to create in you a desire and the power to do His will. Now you know you're weak. But it's through your weakness that He will show Himself strong. Gentlemen, we have got to get back into this battle. Our nation is going to hell in a handbasket because the light is not shining darkness is overcoming only because we've got a bushel over us. God wants to remove that bushel. For every man here, man, who knows you should be in the Bible every day, and you know your weakness and your failures,
but you'd like to have God pour his grace into you to give you the desire and the power to be in his word every day. I want you to come here right now and receive that gift. Jenna, it's open. Come on. You want it? How bad? Come on, you should be flooding this altar. For goodness sakes, you need to repent of what we have done. Because our women, our kids are dependent upon fathers. We don't need more and better teachers. We need a father. The world hates the heavenly father. Oh, they love Mother Nature, but they hate the father. They hate those who be fathers. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, last chapter of the Old Testament, last verse, God's word says, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or I will smite the land with a curse. Our land is cursed today. We see it bloodshed coursing down the corners of our schools, our workplaces, and our streets, and we're looking at each other with awkward amazement trying to figure out what are we supposed to do. That's a curse from Almighty God. That's a judgment of Almighty God on us. Gentlemen, we need to repent. Remember what Jason said? The Marines may be looking for a few good men, but not God. He's looking for those that are broken in their heart over their own sin and failure to be what they know deep in their heart they ought to be, what the Holy Spirit has put in their heart. And they don't know where else to go. And I qualify too, brother. Thank God for that. So let's go to the God that's just been waiting for this opportunity to do something in each and every one of you. Gentlemen, we're going to pray together. First of all, Father, in Jesus' name, forgive us. Dads, fathers, men, born to be warriors, forgive us for the failures that we have made. Lord, we confess to you right now. Confess the two Greek words, homo and logeto. Homo, the same man as logeto speaking. We're speaking the same thing you are. We believe that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And yet, God, we have failed to be in your word. We know we should be, but we have failed to be. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, please forgive us. There's probably been so much instruction that we could pass down to our kids that we didn't because we simply didn't take the time to be in your word. And Father God, we just ask your forgiveness. And we pray right now, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would give us your grace because we will fail if your grace is not operating in us, if your Holy Spirit is not moving in us, we will fail for sure. So, Lord, even show us, each one of us individually, that your Holy Spirit is the one that will enable us to desire and to have the power to be in your word every day. Lord, we're asking that you would work this miracle, that these men would become mighty men of God, not like the men of Ephraim that turned back to the day of battle, but mighty men of God who, when they hear the giants roar as little David did, that they will run to the roar and not away from the giant. That they will take out the enemies of this land, the enemies of our children, the enemies of our nation, and your enemies. And that, Lord, you could use us to make your enemies a footstool under your feet. And, Father, we pray this now in Jesus' name. 
and that these men will be raised up to be mighty in the Lord and turn their hearts to your children. And Father, we will give you all the praise and all of the glory in Jesus' name. And all of the men said, Amen. Amen. Now, gentlemen, wait. We've got something for you. How many of you moms? How could I get there? How many of you moms know that you should be in the Bible and aren't? How many? Every day. You know it. Or are going to be moms one day. Know you should be in the Bible and aren't. Why don't you come up? Would you like the same thing your husbands are giving you? Would you like that? Come on up here. God has more for you than you could possibly imagine because out of him are rivers of living water. Come on up here. You find your husband, get right next to him. Get where you belong, right underneath his tarp. That's a great place to be. That's where they belong. That's how it works. That's how God made them. God created Adam out of dust, but he created woman out of something different. Eve out of a rib. The best place right here, closest to a man's heart. See, moms, you're going to create in your children an appetite for the Word of God. You know why? Because they're going to see you in God's Word. They're going to see how important God's Word is to you. And you're going to create, you're going to touch the palate of that child. And in the end, that child is not going to turn away from him. And sometimes moms do things more for others than that they will do for themselves. So moms, we're going to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these mothers. I thank you for these that are going to be mothers that are here, and maybe grandmas that are here. And Father God, I pray that you would take the years that they have left, and that they would just find the greatest appetite in your word, and would create that appetite in their children, and their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, and their great-great-grandchildren, and that Lord, their lives would leave a legacy for them. That they would run the race with a reckless abandon for you, not afraid of anything. And that, Father, they, these arrows that you have placed in our quiver, would, when they're launched from the whole family, plunge right into the bullseye of their life. So, Lord, I pray that you forgive us and that you will pour your grace into each mom that has come here tonight to be filled with your Holy Spirit to give them the desire and the power to be in your word every single day. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Now, we're going to sing a song. Can I sing a song? Don't you do I have decided to follow Jesus. Everybody. I have decided
that good intentions are not enough to get this done. So we have a Bible reading schedule for you. A Bible reading schedule that I have, uh, that I made up for my boys 20 some odd years ago. I don't know how many years ago it was. It was a long time ago. And it's right here. Now, I don't have a copy of these because I'm going to be passing these out at the school tomorrow. I don't have a copy of this one. But you can pick this up on the Benham Brothers Bible app. And you can read through the Bible with us every single day. It's a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new. And, uh, and, and you can make a hard copy. There's a, there's a PDF or something like that. You can make a hard copy of this. And you can be on the same page that we are. But this enables you to get through the whole Bible in a year. And on the back of it, I wrote the seven biblical characteristics of David's fighting men. Now, I wrote that for teenagers. And it's, it's, it's really good. And you guys will like it. You guys will like it a lot. So in the BenBrothers.com, you can find this Bible reading schedule. We have given out tens of thousands of these throughout the years. And it's been such a blessing to me. I think we started this in 1984. And we've been reading through the Bible ever since. Our whole family. And that's wonderful. Gentlemen, today is our day. Let me tell you something. The joy of the Lord is our strength. you believe it? See, what pleases God makes us strong. And I know that I have got strong about my life. Like my new brother in the Lord right there with every single sin forgiven and everything completely forgiven. Brother, you are brand new. 